everything bass fishing. Coming to you worldwide from MegaWare Keelguard Studios. All right, man. Appreciate you all coming back for another episode of Bass Edge Radio. That's right. Episode number 397. Man, uh, here we are, middle of April, the 15th. It is tax day. This is your tax day episode of Bass Edge. So uh, thank you all for checking in. And uh, man, just uh, want to be sure and say that uh, MegaWare Keelguard, big shout out to uh, our primary sponsor and partner here forever here at Bass Edge. So uh, thanks again to uh, MegaWare for continuing to be on board. And remember listeners that are just listening to audio right now, we have started YouTube. So be sure to check out our Bass Edge YouTube. Uh, but if you're just into the audio thing and you're driving down the road, don't be looking at your YouTube. Be sure to uh, just download those uh, via Spotify or Google Play, iTunes, all those uh, great media outlets to download the uh, podcast Bass Edge Radio. Man, let's get right down to it. We just had uh, last week a big event happen over at Lake Murray in South Carolina. Man, I am not sure I have ever seen a a professional angler. I've seen it on the local side, but from the professional angling standpoint, Anthony Gagliardi chalks up another big W, another national event there at his uh, uh, home lake. He says he doesn't spend a whole lot of time there. I bet he spends more time there than 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 most people, you know, spend probably at their other home lakes. But but uh, Anthony Gagliardi, man, he took it down. Uh, won the MLF Bass Pro Tour there, kind of casually making it really kind of into the championship round. But uh, once he got to the championship round, um, you know, was in position. He had a little over 20 pounds after the first day. Um, so he was in position to kind of make that charge. And charge did he. 27 plus pounds on day two of the championship round, man. Just a huge shout out. He won by four and a half pounds on a two-day derby. That's that's pretty significant. Uh, Ott Defoe finishing in second place. And uh, dude, I gotta say, how about that fishery? I mean, the weights were phenomenal. Uh, if you didn't have 18 and a half, it was like you weren't, you weren't on a decent deal because they were whacking them, man. A lot of guys had 20 plus pound bags. Um, like I mentioned, if you weren't catching 18 plus, you were in the bottom half of the standings. So it took over in the knockout round, it took over 18 pounds just to finish in the top half of the field. Or excuse me, uh, the top, yeah, the top half of the field just to get through. And uh, those top 10 anglers, of course, made that championship round. So, um, Let's see, uh, the BBT, man, lots going on there. I'm really digging that five fish deal. I think you're seeing a lot more movement in and out of the, uh, the uh, standings as far as throughout the day on score tracker rather than somebody really running away with it. Um, you just always have that chance for that big fish to jump, you know, an angler up from maybe second, third, fourth, or fifth all the way up in the first place. So it's, it's neat to see and fun to watch. Um, I, I got I to gotta throw this out there. Uh, Forward-facing sonar, obviously that's how Gagliardi won the deal, kind of mid-depth, not not on the herring spawn, not or the the, the blueback spawn, and um, not really uh, sight fishing, 
but but really using this forward-facing sonar to catch some fish that were either staging to go up to spawn or had just recently post-spawned and, and uh, so great shout out to him but you could catch them almost any way you wanted in that event guys were catching them on buzz baits whopper ploppers on the shad spawn which was which was fun to watch uh, Watson had a huge day on that uh, Cliff Crochet had a huge day on that um, herring spawn uh, we saw uh, Nick LeBrun had a 25-pound-plus bag. I think that that first first uh, first couple rounds of the event. So that was that was super cool to watch too. I think the neat thing is that so many things were in play that that uh, you could learn a lot by watching that event. Whether it was the herring spawn, the shad spawn, sight fishing, or how Anthony won the event with that forward-facing sonar. Um, but I I got to tell you this. Getting prepared for the podcast, I uh, I got I got to talk to the folks at MLF, and we might have a chance to do that here in a little bit. But but the Bass Pro Tour, man, it's hard to see some stats. I saw Watson, you know, obviously he's he's a, a proud partner of, of MegaWare Keelguard too. So I saw Watson make the top ten. I was super excited, you know, for my team member James Watson, of course, out of Missouri. He's been fishing the Bass Pro Tour since uh, it was established. He started fishing the MLF Selects. And, uh, of course, he was fishing the FLW Tour. And when they made that transition, he he, uh, he fished the Bass Pro Tour. I'm not sure if it was his first top 10 or not. Um, it could be the fifth top 10. I, I don't know because the stats for the MLF aren't there. So we're going we're gonna to talk to the folks from MLF sometime down the road and see if we can get those Bass Pro store, Tour stats all together because I love looking at all those kinds of things. Man, it's fun to... Uh, you know, kind of understand more about the history of things that happen and put that into, into perspective so that you can, you know, not only talk about it here on Bass Edge Radio, but uh, just with your buddies and stuff, like how 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 well anglers have done in the past or, or maybe how poorly they've done in the past. So um, that that's that's an interesting deal there. But um, big shout out to MLF. They're doing a great job because, again, we had another awesome Toyota event at Lake Dardanelle um, up there on the Arkansas River, the Southwest Division. Zach King, local stick, uh, finished second place a lot of times in the Toyotas, and, and he took the W there. Um, he had 18-ish pound bags every single day. Uh, Zach mentioned in some, some of the press that uh, he caught most of his fish sight fishing, which is really interesting on a river system like Dardanelle because they had rain. You know, the water fluctuates a lot. You really got to be dialed, so congratulations to Zach. And I got to give a shout-out to... Uh, Todd Castledine, holy cow, guys leading the points uh, again. Uh, that that guy just owns the Southwest Toyota division. It's it's pretty amazing how consistent Todd is uh, fishing in that region of the country. Of course, he's from East Texas and kind of kind of knows all those places. So it's it's uh it's pretty cool to watch Todd do his thing. And uh, got to give another shout out to Dylan Harrell, man. Dylan Harrell uh, had a great finish there. Finished in the top 10. Um, actually, I think he made a top 5. But uh, you can check that out on MLF. They do a great stats with the Toyota. So so check out Dylan Harold. Congratulations to him. I actually fished with Dylan in a uh, BASS Junior Championship. I wasn't a junior, but I was helping Dylan catch some fish as a young angler. So it's great to see him kind of graduate with that. And uh, lastly, I want to mention before we get on to our showcase segment, man, we got new bass fan rankings out. Man, I got to bring up a couple of uh, 
cool stats or, or things that I think are pretty interesting. <coughs> the first thing is, I think this is the first time we've had a father-son in the top 10 of the Bass Fan World Rankings. You got Alton Jones Sr. in 9th, Alton Jones Jr. in 10th. So maybe appropriate for Sr. to be ahead at this moment, but uh, that's pretty cool. And uh, of course, Jacob Wheeler still ranked number one, but man, things have gotten a little bit closer there. Connell's in second, Dustin Connell, Ott Defoe having a great year as he does every year. All these guys in the top 10, Michael Neal killing it, Justin Lucas. Uh, you only have two elite series anglers in the top 10, which is also very interesting. But uh, those guys are Chris Johnson and uh, Tyler Rivette, who of course is... Uh, come out a blazing this year so uh anyway check out those bass fan rankings they they rank them all the way down i think uh to about 250 they're they're pretty accurate because of all the uh bass pro tour anglers you got 80 80 anglers there of course the elite series i think they're fishing 110 this year or or 100 this year so uh check that out great stuff man i'm excited about our showcase segment we're gonna come with you with uh actually an angler, he's probably a, I don't know, he might be a media guy first, an angler second, but as of late, he seems to me as an angler first and a media guy second. But y'all stay tuned. We're going to have some fun with uh, Jody White. Just got back from the uh, ABA championship on the Red River. So we're going to have some fun talking to Jody and uh, just kind of seeing what he's kind of up to and... Not only that, we're, we're going to find out some things like beliefs are maybe some keys to being a great bass angler. Something we all want to be here at Bass Edge Radio. All right, y'all stay tuned. We're going to be right back. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so choose the protection the pros pick. Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. The MegaWare Keel Guard is made tough and made to stick. Install it yourself in less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. Insist on the original Keel Guard the pros have picked for 25 years. MegaWare Keel Guard. All right, here we are. We are back to Bass Edge Radio. And we got the man, the man himself, angler, media guy. What, what are we talking about here? We're, we're going to talk with Jody White. We're going to talk about angling. We're going to talk about MLF media. Jody, awesome to have you here on Bass Edge. Kurt, it's a pleasure, and uh, it's always great talking with you. Yeah, man. Uh, you do your podcast yourself with uh, MLF. I do. Uh, less frequently than I probably should, uh, but yeah, the uh, MLF Bass Fishing Podcast is, uh, that's the one, and you know, you're definitely welcome to listen, and when I get home to Vermont, I'm going to try and kick it back into gear. Let's talk about that. You're from Vermont. You've been uh, running all over the place. How long have you, first, how long have you worked with MLF? Uh, so or, I, or FLW, right? So, well, I was going to give you both answers. Uh, <laughs> I, I graduated college in, I guess, 2013. Uh, if I'm doing my math, right. Um, and you're a Hokie shout out to the tech. Yeah. Go Hokies. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, the women's team had a really good run this year. 
Um, and uh, so anyway, I graduated in 2013 and I started working with FLW uh, right out of the gate, basically. And I, you know, did a couple different jobs on my way, you know, through slash up slash sideways uh, with uh, FLW. And then we got bought by MLF and I basically stayed doing a similar thing and I'm still kicking. That's awesome. That's awesome. Talking about doing similar things, you know, obviously being in the media with the bass fishing organization, you're a bass angler at heart. Yeah. 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 Like, I mean, I got into, I, I got into writing about fishing because I like to fish a lot, not because I like to write a lot. You know, <laughs> I just sort of started to write about it because I don't know, I was looking for something to do and I kind of kept rolling from there. So, it's definitely, I mean, as far as my job goes, you were talking earlier, like, are you an angler or are you a fisherman? And Right, right. Or are you a writer or are you a fisherman? And, I mean, my job is media. Um, but if I was doing some other job, I would still be fishing for sure. Um, but I don't think there's really ever a scenario where I'm going to make my money, you know, make my living uh you know, making casts. I don't think that's in my future. <laughs> well, let's talk about that. Listen, so you fish, you fish a lot of different uh, local tours. Um, I've seen you at some open events also, um, but you're, you're a staple at the ABA events in the Northeast. Um, tell me a little bit about ABA events, kind of, you know, maybe for some folks that don't know, you know, what ABA is or what ABA stands for in their, their tournament organization. Yeah, so um, they are definitely a competitor of MLF, uh, but <laughs> they're uh, it's it's really similar to a BFL, you know, or a Phoenix Bass Fishing League event. At least the ones I fish, they're uh, okay. they're a draw tournament. They are one day. The championship is a two day event for our division, um, and basically, I fish the New York division because it's local to me, and it right. also fishes a lot of really fantastic lakes. Uh, and I got to fish a full schedule last year. Things like actually just worked out. This year, I already know I can't fish a full schedule because okay. the first tournament is on top of the Tackle Warehouse Invitational at the Potomac, and so obviously okay. I got to go work that. Yeah. So got got to get got to get the bills paid. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So it's uh, it's one of those things where when it all all meshes, it's great, and you know I caught the crap out of them last year it was fantastic i don't usually catch them as good as i did so um, so you qualify for the aba championship um how yeah. do you how do you qualify for the championship through uh that new york division that you fish uh so they tweaked it a little bit this this year i think but last year you basically had to finish in the top x in points okay. um i think it was probably top five uh and then they dropped down a little bit. Like there were some folks who, you know, either couldn't go or something like that. And they filled around a little bit. Right. right. I, I won AOI in my division. I didn't have to worry about it. I just was like, Hey, sweet. Now I get to go to the red river. AOI. Dude, that's a great accomplishment. So, so any kind of AOI, I don't care if it's a 10 boat club or a 50 boat, uh, ABA division or a Toyota series or, or whatever. Huge accomplishment. And, and so you qualified to go down to the Red River, the Ray Scott Championship. Yeah. First place wins a boat, and I think it was thirty grand. 
uh, which wow. I, I'll go to the Red River for that. <laughs> Bring I'll take down. those odds. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and you've spent some time on the Red River, you know, with with your media job, right? So so you've spent some time there in the past. Uh, a little bit. Um, I had been there essentially just on the bank for okay. the first time ever when Tharp won the Forestwood Cup there, and then we had a college national championship there and I was actually on the water and covering that one. And, uh, I spent most of the time in that down in pool four, which, you know, is the pool below takeoff. And, uh, I never went to pool four in the tournament. (laughs) So (laughs) I honestly, I can't say that my time there was, you know, tremendously helpful other than knowing that, you know, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of timber in the water, a lot of stumps. <laughs> right. And uh, I could have figured that out online. <laughs> um, yeah, right. So well, sometimes, well, though, you know, I go to places where I've, you know, been there a lot, seen it a lot. Uh, like, I've uh, I've fished a couple tournaments at the St. Lawrence, and I've covered a lot of tournaments at the right. St. Lawrence. Um, and honestly, can't say I've ever really used it to my advantage per se, but okay. it's good to have that base and knowledge on a body of water for sure. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, let's let the cat out of the bag. You finished sixth place at the national championship of the ABA and, and some, some sticks all around. Uh, Toby Hartzell ended up winning it, uh, a stick from, from Oklahoma, I believe Toby's from. And, yep. um, so dude, how did you put together this? Uh, I, I guess it was kind of a, I mean, it was just last week. We and, and did you did you put together like a, a spawn, pre-spawn, post-spawn? Tell us a little bit about how you caught them. So uh, the kind of the story of the event was the weather. Um, I think it would have been a much better tournament, a much different tournament, if we hadn't had like four inches of rain between the end of practice and the beginning of the tournament. Mm-hmm. We had a canceled day. Uh, the first two days it was like 45 to 55 degrees and raining basically the whole time. Like beautiful. They were biting in practice. (laughs) It was good. And they kind of bit less and less as the tournament went on, unless you were Toby Hartzell because (laughs) he cracked them. Yeah. He kind of, he he got better and better every day, I believe. Uh, yeah. So I've got the results up. He, day one, he had, 13 and a half basically then he had 12 and a half and then he caught 14 and a half on the final day which right. you know was the big bag of the tournament by like half a pound and on the red you're dealing with a like half a pound matters there yeah. it's a yeah it's a tight fishery um, absolutely but well, like, it's great go ahead go ahead oh i was gonna say like in practice you know there were a lot of fish that like there were fish on bed or that i was sure were on bed you know what where you could flip in multiple times and they'd take your bait off and you can flip right back and they take it off. I caught fish on a frog. I uh, had a good swim jig bite going like on the edge of the hyacinths. And uh, I ended up, you know, catching a lot of fish on a swim jig on the edge of the hyacinths in the tournament. And then also I had, you know, I had like one key stretch of bank where it seemed like there were a lot of fish spawning and it didn't get super dirty. Okay. And then I caught a few other ones off stumps that I'm very sure responding as well. Um, Cause it was definitely like we had a full moon. We had all the conditions that you would want for them to spawn 
other than, you know, good weather. Right. So, so you went back and, and you revisited these locales where you were shaking those fish off. You felt like they were on bed. Did you catch a lot of fish that you, that you shook off? Actually, no. no. Um, I, I, that seems up, too perfect, right? <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the first morning of the tournament, I went into a creek where I, the day before I'd me and my practice partner, uh, Gino, uh, he's got a great last name. It's uh, Bill of Law. Uh, <laughs> Gino and I were going into creeks, and I would take one side, and he'd take the other side because we'd never been there before. And right. I went into this one creek where just the day before we got probably a dozen bites in it. Like we thought it was good. I'd caught a three pounder on a frog. Like we were like, this is going to be money. And the water had come up, it was colder, it was dirtier. And I don't have the experience to just say, this is too dirty. I need to leave. I was like, yeah, this is okay. I can live in here. I fished it for like an hour and a half, never got a bite. Mm. And, and then that was where sort of the game plan started to fall apart. And I ended up just in two areas where it seemed like they had the right stuff. The, the place where I caught probably the most fish that where I'd shaken them off in practice, practice, I actually caught, shook them off punching hyacinths mm. like little small patches tucked up yep. near the bank and then in the tournament i was setting the hook and like flipping a brush hog to you know a patch of reeds or like any little uh any little stump that i could see it was very interesting i've never fished a tournament where my sunglasses were more important despite mm. the conditions being absolutely horrible because <laughs> The first day in the afternoon, basically any time I could actually see a stump to throw at, that was just, you know, it could be an inch or three inches under the water. Right. I had like an hour where I was getting a bite off it. Wow. And like on the Red River, that's invaluable. Yeah. Yeah, that's real good. Well, it's interesting. You, you mentioned before you had like four inches of rain. Uh, that's in the springtime. It's like mm, welcome to the Red River, right? <laughs> so yeah, it's, so it's interesting how those things kind of make you adjust and change the fishery throughout. But but you were able to kind of adapt and and um, move away from maybe some of the things you had confidence in and practice. It sounds like and uh, yeah, capitalize. Like, I I finished up practice with you know two areas that I thought were really good. One of them was like the, just the primary community halts. Do not dredge. You know, it's like right near takeoff. Yeah. I think on day one, there were like 30 boats in it or something wow, like that. Wow. And I caught a three and a half pounder in there on day one. So like, <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but then the other area I had, it was basically myself in it. It was Hartzell in it. And it was Brett Carnwright who was leading the, you know, leading the tournament through two days. Right. And, and between he, the... He's from your area too, right? Oh yeah, he's a Plattsburgh guy. He's a Champlain yeah. guy. He's very cool. You know, he's gonna be. He's always tough on Champlain. He's gonna be really tough uh, at the Toyota Series there this spring. Um, yeah, but like all th all three of us had apparently found like the deal, and we were all three fishing it a little bit differently. Uh, hmm. I wish I really understood how Toby was fishing it because he was torching us. But, you know, Brett was really dialed in on the hyacinths, and I caught some on the hyacinths, and then I got, like, 
honed in on that flipping bite and that carried me really far. That's awesome. So you, both you and Brett were from, you know, Champlain area. And did you have a lot of similarities that you could bring from your home body of water to the Red River? Like, did, did you see the red and think, okay, I've seen this kind of play out at Ticonderoga or, or something of that nature? Ty gets a little dirty yeah. at times, you know, when the water's low. Ty can be dirty. It can be uh, going into backwaters can be important, um, yep. especially in the spring. I I would say some. You know, it's definitely we weren't going down there. And, you know, we didn't have a slate of fishermen going down who just fished the Great Lakes, right? Like right. all of us had, who were there, you know, we've got experience at Ty. We've got experience at some other – you know, kind of grimy places. Uh, one of our tournaments was at Chautauqua uh, last summer. And like, it's really a pretty dirty lake. It's a grass lake. It's not really like the Red River, but we had a little experience, but overall it's hard to say that yeah. we were really helped by kind of our upbringing. Your home, right. <laughs> uh, we, we joked about how they were spawning in two feet of water and we were going to bust out the floggers uh, <laughs> and, and look for, you know, try and find one, you know, six inches down in the mud. But <laughs> right. realistically we were just going down and we just knew we were going to fish shallow. And, you know, we, we'd done our research and it, it worked out well. I, I don't think that we had a special secret sauce from Ticonderoga. Right. right. All right. Well, good stuff. Well, congratulations on a huge event and, and kind of giving us some insight on, on uh, you know some ways to attack some some uh, pre-spawn and spawning fisheries, especially uh, river fisheries during that time of year. I think that's going to help a lot of anglers catch some fish. Um, I wanted to ask you this question uh, when we were texting back and forth. You know, I, I think I mentioned this, or or maybe I mentioned it to to you on the phone when when we were setting this up the other day. But but I'm really interested to know you have hung out with, interviewed, talked so much to the best, some of the best, most of the best anglers in the country. What is the it factor that you see from your media perspective that is making uh, these anglers exceptional, exceptional, exceptional at their craft? I think it's like a kind of a combination of factors and i'll okay. be curious to hear what you think of one of my factors all right just because i i'm i can go a couple ways on it but i think just having the passion for it is really important you know i think that the amount of time and resources that you need to like prioritize and push in to trying to become a pro angler mm -hmm. like it's really intense. Um, I fished all of the opens or full divisions of the opens for a couple of years. Right. And I, in hindsight, I realized that I didn't want it enough. Like as much as I love bass fishing, I can look around at other people who have like just changed their entire lives around to push themselves into this sport to the top level. And it's like, well, yeah, I fish a lot, but <laughs> I don't want it that bad. Right, right. So I think that the passion is another thing is one thing. I think another thing is like, I really kind of believe there's a sixth sense to bass fishing. 
Like, I think there are people who are naturally gifted at it. And you can probably hone it, but I don't don't know if there's ever a scenario where I could fish as much in a year as Jordan Lee does, or I could fish as much in a year as Matt Becker does, or, I mean, Dakota Ebert, and be as good as those guys. Like, I feel like, and you I think know, Dakota is a great example. That guy's off the chain. He's fished. Yeah, like, I, I don't know how many tournaments like the last three years. It's got to be incredible. Forty or fifty. Yeah. And multi-day tournaments, not and some BFLs, but it's not like he's yeah. fishing. You know, twenty Tuesday nighters. Right, he's right, right. he's like fishing lots of big tournaments against really stiff competition. Yes, and. He, one, has the drive to keep doing it, and then two, he has an ability to sniff out fish basically everywhere. Like, I don't know the last time the guy had a medium finish, you know? He's, like, (laughs) always in the top 30. (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting. I think it's a great point. I really like the passion. Uh, I think that's, I mean, if you don't have the passion, you're not going to put in the time, right? Yeah, and I, obviously, like, there's a lot of different ways to make a living in bass fishing. Like, I think you're exceptional proof of it. I'm proof of it. Like, you can get yourself close to fishing. You can, a lot of ways, there are a lot of people who are way better at thinking of ways to make money than I am. <laughs> um, but, like, as far as just, if you're going to be Brian Thrift, it seems like, one, you've got to have the passion to, like, commit or spend a tremendous amount of time. And then I just feel like there's something in the back of his head that's wired differently than, you know, me. <laughs> yeah, the the, sick, the the other one, you know, with passion, then you mentioned the sixth sense. I, I, I completely, wholeheartedly agree with that. I think it even comes down to just a person's mechanics, like their natural mechanics, like, just the way that they wind the lure or the speed of retrieve, the, the, the way that they do some, some uh, skill sets that seem like it's just the same as everybody else, but it's different enough. And, and they see something that other anglers aren't seeing that's given them that opportunity to be one of the best of the best. Yeah. And I'll say it doesn't have to, you talked about mechanics and I think you're right. Like it, but it doesn't have to look it doesn't have to look pretty, right? right. Like Andy Morgan looks amazing. Bass fishing. Right, right. That man flipping and pitching <laughs> is one of the smoothest, most beautiful things in the world. Brian Thrift sets the hook and half the time he hits himself in the head. He's got more like legit bloopers of him, you know, almost snapping a rod on the hook set than anyone I know. And he's one of the best in the world. Uh, Mitch Crane holds a rod wrong. Like, if you watch Mitch Crane, he's doing it wrong. (laughs) And he is knocking out top tens left and right. Like, Mitch is – he works really hard, but – and he has – he does things differently. Like, we've had him – I've had him on the podcast. He is approaching professional bass fishing differently than anyone else from the amount of time on the water that he is just not spending because he's, you know – doing dentistry instead and like spending time with his family he's doing it differently but he's succeeding i think because he's a hard worker but also like you know incredibly fishy 
And he might not tell you he's all that fishy, but I think he's really dang fishy. He's you know so, he's got so it figured out. Yeah, he does, and and he's doing really well, really really well. Uh, obviously, made the Bass Pro Tour after I think one two seasons. Two I want to say it's either two or three. Like it wasn't yeah. very long. No, it was not. And and then, uh, but I got to give the shout out to Orlando Wilson. That is who Mitch Crane holds his rod like. By the way, so he may <laughs> okay. he may have like funneled this history from Orlando. You remember Orlando Wilson? No, not at all. You I'm don't. Like, oh my god! I literally put. I mentally was like, I'm going to Google this. <laughs> <laughs> he is an iconic. Uh, I, I guess you know it'd probably be late '70s, early '80s. He was he fished BASS, of course, in the early times when there was only BASS, and um, he was an iconic television host, the Orlando Wilson Fishing Show. I'm sure you can catch it on YouTube. I think if you do, you will see some um, you'll see some Mitch Crane. In Orlando, right. or maybe you're seeing Orlando in Mitch Crane might be the best way to say that. Well, I can't wait to look, and I tell you what, as soon as I see it, I'm gonna I'm gonna send some clips over to Mitch. I'll be like, hey, you're actually doing it right. Oh man, it's so great, man, Jody. I want to I want to thank you for uh, stopping by uh, with us here at Bass Edge. Do you have any final thoughts? Uh, we're we're gonna get ready to go to a, a a featured angler spotlight, but man, it's it's been an awesome time having you here. Um, any, any final words of wisdom for the for the audience? Uh, I don't think I've got any particular <laughs> words of wisdom. I'd say, you know, just keep fishing as much as you can because that's what makes me happy. Um, but I think that your next guest is going to be probably super interesting because, man, he is a fascinating guy. Um, yeah. And if I wasn't really hungry for Mexican, I would stick around and listen. Um, <laughs> and uh, also, I'm frustrated about stats, too. Uh, but I really oh, yeah. don't have a solution for that right now. <laughs> so you, you saw the intro. So what what is the deal? Can, yeah. Are you going to be able to help us out with the MLF website stats? Or, I mean, or at least put in a good word to somebody for us? Every time I have an opportunity to put in a word, I do it. Okay. Because it's really annoying. Um, well, you can, you can mention that you were on the Bass Edge radio podcast and, and the BBT stats came up. And they do um, – I mean – it is the best website for pro circuit stats, invitation now, invitational stats, Toyota stats, BFL stats. I mean, stats out the wazoo. Yeah. The highest Bass Pro Tour. It's missing the stats. We need some stats. Oh my God. I need stats. <laughs> Kurt, you're making a lot of sense. <laughs> All right, man. That's cool. We'll put in a good word for us. Jody, thanks again for stopping by Bass Edge Radio. You guys stay tuned. As Jody alluded, we're going to get ready to roll into the Featured Angler Spotlight. Y'all stay tuned. Bass Edge Radio will return in a moment. See you, Jody. Bye, Kurt. Excessive shock and vibration are two leading causes for premature battery failure. Prolong the life of your batteries with the new MegaWare Battery Guard. The Battery Guard sits under your battery and absorbs excessive vibration and bounce, reducing G-Shock by up to 80%. Great for boats or anywhere shock and vibration can damage a battery. The Battery Guard can easily be trimmed to fit virtually any custom shape or battery size. Save money by protecting your batteries. Spend more time on the water and less on maintenance. Find yours at MegaWare.com. Here we go. We are back to some Bass Edge Radio. 
We got the man. Um, I see a dark screen. Keith, are you there? I am here. Can you hear me? I can hear you really good. I can hear you great. We've we've got you on uh, on a video. Do you have some Do you have some video for us? Can we see where you're at and what you're doing? Man, I, I'd love to. I, I don't. I don't know what I'm doing. To be honest with you. <laughs> well, you know, I have that same problem often. I do. I do have that problem often. Uh, what are you on your your cell phone? I am. I think you can. Uh, there you go. We got something coming. We got something coming up. I punched something. Yeah. I see it. Man. That's that's all good, man. Here here we're gonna go. We're gonna go with uh, we're gonna go with the single. Single screen. Most importantly, we've got Keith Poche. Actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave you like this. You might figure something out as, as we go on. But uh, yeah, man, well, thanks. You know, I, I mean, I could leave and come back, but I don't know. You might not want me to. Yeah, no, nah, we don't want you to leave, man. We just want you here, just like that. Maybe maybe this is a uh, Keith Poche in the dark episode. <laughs> I'm in disguise. In disguise. There you go, yeah. man. Keith, thank you so much for. Uh, hanging out with us and, and coming on Bass Edge. Man, uh, let, let's talk about what's what's been happening in your life. You won your first MLF Bass Pro Tour event over there at Douglas and Cherokee uh, just a couple weeks ago. Man, that, that must have been something that really fired you up. Tell, tell us what, what the thought process was and... And just the feeling now that you've kind of let that, you know, settle in a little bit. Well, Kurt, I mean, you you know me. I, I we we've we've been around each other for quite a while, and and you've seen the struggles over the years, the ups and downs, and and the tough seasons. And man, it, it, this is not easy being out here. And, and I'm kind of giving you a long answer to a short question, but no, yeah, we want to hear, dude. It. You just cannot imagine how I felt to get it done on that level. You know, I've been fortunate to to have some success on the lower level, and uh, but to, to to get there on a Bass Pro Tour and beat some of the best in the business um, was really special. Meant a lot. Felt good uh, because you know you don't. They're hard to win. You don't get opportunities very often. I feel like I've I've missed some opportunities in the past, and you start questioning: Is it ever going to happen? You know, right. when when will you close the door on a on an event that that's that on that status on that level? Sure. Uh, so, yeah, it was very, very emotional and and something that, uh, you know, that. That it, it gives me a little bit more confidence in myself and my abilities and, you know, just just the, the, the all the years of prep and and sacrifice. Right. And I mean, you know, what you, you you've been a part of this Absolutely. forever. It's just a grind, man. It's a grind. You know, I mentioned in the last podcast, uh, you know, how excited I was for you and and, uh, you finally achieving this uh, national tour win. Uh, You've had some great, great wins in the past. Uh, Red River last year in the Opens. And um, you, you don't get where, you know, you're an elite series angler and an MLF Bass Pro Tour angler without having major success right i mean you won aoy last year in the uh opens division overall so so you've been down the road but i remember when we were fishing the mlf selects and i feel like a part of your maturation in this uh new discovery over the last couple 
couple years of the style of fishing that you're doing with, uh, you know, utilizing the, the uh, smaller boat, just, you know, concentrating on your instincts, uh, really bringing back from when you began bass fishing, uh, really came from those MLF select events. We, we, we were fishing bodies of water that we did not know, and we had to launch the boat and go catch fish. And you relied and did really, really well once you figured this out. When you really started to rely on your personal instincts, your, your youth, your, your passion for bass fishing, which got you to that point of at that time being in the Elite Series and fishing the MLF Selects, um, it really brought you to this place or was the beginning of the road, I feel like, that brought you to this place today because you could really just um, let loose, you know, kind of be free with your thought process. No preconceived notions. There was no waypoints, you know. And what do you think um, about that statement from me and my vision of where I saw you came from and where you are today? Well, you, you're pretty spot on. I mean, you know, it, it. I've always kind of fought that that kind of um, desire to, to fish that away or gravitate to that kind of stuff. But, but it wasn't until, you know, fishing the MLF stuff and that no practice and that, that, you know, fishing by the seat of your pants, making those quick decisions really kind of, you know, sparked a little light in me and, and gave me confidence that what, what I've always expected, you know, what I've always known before um, as far as what I think about fishing, how I approach it really, I mean, it kind of, it kind of came around. I'm like, man, I can do this. I mean, this is, this is the way I like to fish. This is what I do. Right. And I, I just, it, things just started rolling and, and, you know, my confidence level went way high and I just kind of went with what I think, like, instead of trying to do what other people do or what, what, you know, everybody says you should do on this lake or, you know, the thing here. I just did what I wanted to do. I don't, I don't care what people say right. or what they think or what, you know what I'm saying? Like, it, it's just a, a, a deal that, I mean, I take chances. Don't get me wrong. It doesn't sure. always work out, but the, the, my, my confidence level and my abilities and what I feel like is what I should do is just through the roof. And I just, I, I, I go for it. And, and I, I tell you, man, sometimes I surprise myself. I'm like, <laughs> did, did, did that really happen? Like, really? Like, did I did I really do that? And, you know, I got a lot of haters. You know, they say this, they say that. I mean, you probably go around reading the comments, and you ain't going to say anything about anybody that's being successful. But there, well, you got no, a lot of people that are following and are really excited about what you're doing, Keith. I mean, sure, yeah. anybody that's doing something different, you're going to get um, – you're going to get both sides of the fence, right? Mm -hmm. And, and yeah. typically, folks that, that uh, you know, aren't feeling good about what somebody's doing, they're the most vocal all the time. Nobody all, you know, the positive feedback isn't as vocal generally. But I guarantee you've got a lot more positive momentum behind you than, um, than negativity. There, there's no question. I, I, in I my, in my that's, that's a true statement. I, yeah, but there, there's, I mean... There's a few few people that 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 kind of disagree that that matter if if that makes sense that that are yeah. in positions that that I feel like that 
that they should be a little bit more understanding. They, they should kind of take a step back and understand what I'm doing and how am I doing and, and you know, kind of what it's doing, what, what I think I'm creating for the sport and right. stop being selfish and kind of uh, appreciate it, if you will. Sure. Because, because I'm taking some chances and what I'm doing is I do it, I do it the right way. And I'm going to say it again. I do it the right way. I try to, I follow every rule. I, I know that and I, I, it's and trust me, I've got to really find to, I got, I got to watch myself because people who want to looking at me and some of the things I do, it, it, it's not against the rules, but I, but I'm pretty close to, to, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, how to run in a place or just saying, of course they, they change the rules on that and winching and pulling and all that. And right. so I've always followed the rules 100%. Sure. There's no question about that. But people, and, and it, it, I kind of I, I kind of want to smirk about this, but they they wonder how in the world is he doing that? You know what, man? I, I figure things out. I'm a thinker. And, and they, they just don't understand. They don't, they're not in that environment. They're not, they're not, on that level of that mindset, if, if you will, of trying to figure out ways to, to be creative, to, to yeah. get into a place or catch a bass. And it's not always getting into a place, but to, to create opportunity for yourself in, in a position, you know, put yourself in a position make, to catch them. So, but, but they're not thinking about that. So they think I'm doing something wrong. That's their first, you know, that's what they go after first. Oh, he must be this or he must be right. that. no, it's really simple. If you just kind of think about it, it's really not that hard to, to do what I do. I hear you, man. And, and you put in a lot of work. You put in a lot of time. Let's talk about that real quick, man. You you know, so many exciting things going on. Three events in the MLFBBT. You're sitting in sixth place overall um, in the standings. I'm, is that three events? Yeah, three events yeah. so far. Um, I mean, you've had such a crazy schedule. Uh, you won, as we did, you know, mentioned earlier, the uh, Stage 2 uh, MLF Bass Pro Tour and then went straight to the Bassmaster Classic. Um, I know you well enough that, that you probably practiced the Bassmaster Classic days on your off days from the MLF. But a lot of people think you just went and fished the Classic with no practice. You know, I did. Kurt, um, but because I, I know you work hard. <laughs> yeah. Well, I only got two days because um, I had a competition day during a practice right. on uh, the classic water. So I got two days in the freezing cold, spitting sleet, snow, <laughs> rain, 25 degrees. And then we were off, you know, couldn't be on the water for three, three days or something like that. So and then they had a Wednesday official practice and of course i had to miss that because i was fishing knockout round on cherokee so yep. so yeah i had two days a week before the tournament started so i didn't really fish i just looked you yeah. see what i'm saying and yeah. i and i felt like i felt and honestly i felt like it was a waste of time because i kind of knew i'm just gonna go shallow i mean actually the second day of the event no the first day of the event i went I went somewhere that I didn't even look. I went north. I went as far as I can go. They would allow me to go north and, and fish there to about 1030, never caught a bass, and then left and went down south and got on, you know, started figuring a few things out. Right. But I just went fishing, man. Really. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, it worked out good. I'm sure coming off of the big high of the win, um, probably didn't take anything away from the classic experience, but it probably – 
you know, just muddied up everything because you had so much great stuff going on. You're fishing the Bassmaster Classic. You just won $100,000 in your first national win. I mean, there was just a lot of positivity going on. So it, it was kind of cool to see. And, um, man, watching the Cherokee-Douglas event, uh, let's talk about how you go about navigating this shallow water. Obviously, your boat, your setup is a huge part of it, but it can't be everything. When you're running rapids, you're running through small little chutes and areas, and it's not like you live in Tennessee. You're not Octafoe <laughs> living down the road, you know, having a lot of time to figure these things out. And and so I'm, it's intriguing to me uh, from a a knowledge and and just educational perspective of how do you go about accessing some of these waterways i got first let me say go check out keith's youtube video he's got a, a channel off the grid he shows some video of him running at douglas at cherokee and it is freaking amazing footage keith it, uh, it's just flat out amazing and that, that's what brings me to this question so if you haven't seen that video you might check it out um how do you figure out how to run that skinny water like that yeah, thanks, Kurt. Thanks for uh, promoting a little off the grid. That's really a cool <laughs> right. deal. I do a, I do a lot of good stuff, crazy stuff on there. I, I have fun with it. But, you know, the, the number one thing I, I think that uh, besides the equipment, I mean, I'll, I'll explain that, but uh, it's just experience. Experience uh, running this stuff over the years. Uh, you know, I've, mm-hmm. I've, I've kind of gotten a little bit more braver and braver and braver. It's because I've kind of – I've kind of eased into stuff and I, and I've, I, I ran, I, you know, I, I've kind of tested the waters, if you will, over the years. Right. And I, and I've, and I've, I've done it so many times now. I kind of, I kind of understand. I know my expectations in this boat. I know what I can and can't do. Now I just don't run through anything. I, I, I have right. some limitation. Like I have to draw the line somewhere. I don't want to, you know, injure anybody, but it, it is pretty sketchy that the places I go, <laughs> um, but <laughs> There, there's a few there's a few things that i have on the on this boat and it's narrow it's real narrow i mean it, it i'm actually running in inches of water uh i'm able to jack it all the way up and um you know i got a bob what is the draft you say inches is it two inch three inch five inch where, where are you at on on plane boat official cameraman how shallow can you run with that kind of weight well, it's it's kind of hard to explain. So actual running, I'm I'm probably I'm probably running straight up, wide open, jacked all the way up. Probably I can get away with seven inches. Wow. So that's awesome. But I, and I, it may be a little shallower, but I, I, it's hard to know exactly within that inch. I mean, because the way the boat is, you know, right. if you're going with the current against the Just current, ballpark but, seven seven eight nine inches yeah, somewhere but, in there, right? But but you can't set down in seven eight nine inches. <laughs> no, but let me explain to you what I do and how okay. I how I do it. So you, I'm I'm jacked up all the way. I'm I'm winding that way, and it's spraying up water because half the prop is 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 hitting the, the water. Right, I'm slapping right. pop 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 pop. Well, when I get to a bad spot, I got so much momentum because I'm going fast. I'll start trimming up, hmm. and it's almost I'm trimming out of pop 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 pop. pop. Wah, 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 wah. But but what I do is I lift the motor up. I lose 
traction. It's still slapping a little bit, but I'm I'm run. I can run in about three, four to three then because I'm trimming up. But I'm lo- I lose steering, and I lose and I'm not and I'm not gaining because the, the motor's the, not all the way in the water. But my momentum gets me past that particular spot. That shallow spot that you're trying and, to traverse and I, through, and I, and I get trim the and I'm, yeah. I immediately trim back down. I get back in it. Okay. But there's sense. times where it's like a like in, like hump deep, hump deep, like boop boop boop, like real fast. Like I'm trimming mm-hmm. up and down, up and down. And you got to time it just right. But it allows you to to kick that motor up and get right back in it through that one little like little shoal or ridge or something or rock little deal. You right. just you just trim it out. And it's ba 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 ba, and you get right back in it. That's but, cool. But the Bob's low water pickup allows me to continue to have water pressure, even though the motor's out of the water. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. And so basically, you're running a lot of the shallow rifts. I would call them. Um, you're you're running these shallow rifts uh, by by sound. Um, that's how yeah. you're operating your your motor. It's not you're not looking at a trim gauge. No, you're not, <laughs> it's all, it's all, it's, it's like making a cast. It's like shooting a basketball. It's like riding a bike. I've done it right. so much that I can just, yeah. I, it's a feel. I'm jacking it up, trimming it, turning it. And it's just, it's something I've, I've, I've kind of, um, I, you know, just gotten so good at over the years that I, I'm right. able to do some things that most people, and it's a flat bottom boat. It's not, it's not a jet. It's not a ton of hull. It's a stock motor and boat. So and that and that's part of the requirements of fish these tournaments or any right. tournament. You know, a lot of people want to say this, that, but you know, I do it now. I can't just run through anything. I mean, I draw a line, like I said. Sure. But it's a it's, I mean, a, it's a thin line though. <laughs> there's not much I can't. There's not much <laughs> I can't go through. Yeah. Like I said, check out that video. You see that thin line. So how does that work? You know, when you're adding weight weight to the boat, obviously, um, you know, it, it was interesting. In the Cherokee event, and and I'm kind of dialing this in because I'm sure it kind of affects some of your decisions a little bit because it affects your boat's performance, right? And and that is the first day of the championship round. You didn't have a cameraman, so you were probably able to get up there uh, to that dam uh, at the top end of Cherokee easier than the second day because at this point. You're in contention to win. I mean, you were already kind of in contention, but but now they're thinking, oh, Keith can really make some noise here and make this happen, and they got a, a live camera guy with you. Does that affect you and how you can get around? Could it affect accessibility to fish at times, is, I guess is where I'm going. It, not as much as you would think, especially okay. running. Now, while you're fishing, I mean, it would, it would kind of make the boats, you know, drag a little bit or tilt, you know, it, that that but but you gotta understand is when when you're running i mean that motor is so powerful whether it's a 90 horse i got a 115 on this i got the max you can put on this boat but i mean it, it just it, it pushes it no matter what that that little extra weight is not changing anything i'm still getting the same amount of lift um almost it would help in a way because a lot of times you you like Sometimes a cameraman, they'll sit on like on the cooler, like toward the front deck. You see what I'm saying? Like in some boats, like even while you're running, you got your uh, your, your uh, boat official next to you and he's, he's sitting at, on the cooler before you step on the front. And we're back. 
Can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you see me? I can see you. <laughs> I can see you and hear you. Yeah. Um, you know, we might have to cut an edit on this, but uh, so far, man, it's been a great interview. Let's go back for the listeners. Let's let's bring it back to where we were talking about. Um, I think it went away when I was asking if more weight, the cameraman, the final day. Now you got a marshal and a cameraman, and does it affect your your uh, maneuverability? Can it affect you accessing fish? You know, not as much as you think. Uh, it, it does to an extent while I'm fishing, when the boat stops. But uh, typically running, uh, it, it's not that big of a deal because, you, you know, that motor is really pushing that boat. I'm still getting the lift. But uh -huh. um, especially like when the cameraman sits like on the cooler, like before you walk up to the front deck, and I got yeah. my, my, my marshal next to him, but the cameraman sits like kind of up front. What that does, it it, give, it gives a little weight to the to the bow, which gets the back up and gives me a little so, more lift. So that's good. It, it almost helps in a way. <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, I don't know. That's but cool. That's why I mount all my batteries, everything up front. Most of the weights up front because you want your back light so you can get the motor up out of the all water. Right, so Let's let's put it. I just saw um, a video about Icon bass boats. You heard of the new bass boats called Icon? Uh, Wheel, we, Jacob. Wheeler yeah, I've on, heard on about it. Boat. I don't. I hadn't. I don't. I don't know anything. You know, far. Well, let me just tell you, the price tag is one hundred forty thousand dollars. It's one hundred six, I think, base price. I've actually seen these boats. They're freaking cool boats man they're, they're they've got some really great innovations but where i'm going with this is what's the cost for keith poche's gator tracks all set up all in what's the cost for a gator tracks the way keith poche runs it on the bass pro tour well of course you know the the gator tracks it's it's a it's a really well-built boat and they give you a lifetime whole warranty and my boat now, the 18 foot with the with the 115, you're looking in the 50s. I mean, it, it's still kind of pricey, uh, but but the, it's not 106. <laughs> well, but but it, it's got all the it's got everything. You know, it's got depth finders, power poles, got hydraulic jack plate, 36 volt trolling motor. Right. It, it's it's decked out for 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 a John boat. I mean, yeah. it's it's like a souped up John boat. So, but it's it's a well really well built boat. It runs extremely well. It man it it, it you wouldn't believe how well it, it takes on waves and how well it runs in rough water. You'll get some spray, you know, and I mean, whatever. I, I mean, that's, you just, you got to take, sure. you got to give and take, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. That, that's one of the things you got to give on. I mean, you just get a little spray, but, but it's not a big deal. Uh, but, but the boat runs amazing, but yeah, it's not a hundred over a hundred thousand dollars. Right. Right. <laughs> well, that's cool. So, so uh, an economy buy in the bass boat world. <laughs> and, absolutely and you can still be competitive you can still do whatever you want out of it i mean it's just that you can hunt out of it i mean they'll design the boat however you want it right um and and that's kind of why i mean it's still uh, the, the the boat the amount of boats you're getting it, it's it's kind of pricey but it, it's you pay what you get you get what you sure. pay for and and yeah. they build i mean it's, it's hands down the best little boat in the country awesome man all right yeah. so uh 
I'm really glad we broke that down. I was interested to hear about the running, the performance aspect, how it affected your fishing, because that can come into play. When you're fishing for that much money, um, yeah. you know, that can that can jam things up a little bit. But let's talk about the actual fishing now. You know, that first day, uh, uh, you know, of the championship round, um, you make it through that round. Um, you're in the second day or the final day of the tournament. You, you ran up to the dam the first day to qualify for that top 10 round. Did you think that you could catch the 18 plus pounds that you caught the fight? Or was it, was it 19, 18 or 19? 19. 19. I know it was high yeah. 18s and 19. You, I remember you called one there at the end. I couldn't remember the total. but So 19 pounds, which is a monster sack on Cherokee. Um, did you think it had that potential after the first day, did you make any changes in your tackle, the way you approached that piece of cover, that piece of structure, the dam there, that enabled you to to catch a 19-pound bag the second day and win the tournament? So let me just kind of give you a little backstory, and I don't want, I don't want to go too long with it, but um, I, I didn't even practice Cherokee. Right. My, my thinking is, is if, if I can't get through Douglas, there's no point in worrying about Cher- Cherokee. With the exception is that I've been there before. I was there last year for a bass open yep. about the same time, and I fished up there. So I already knew what lived up there. I caught almost 18 pounds. I weighed in almost 18 pounds of smallmouth in the tournament, the bass wow. open. It was a two-day event because that one day was canceled due to the weather. Right. But um, – so in the back of my mind, I'm like, you know, if I can make it to Cherokee, I might have a chance. <laughs> so I put all, I, I devoted all my time into Douglas to make sure I, I, I had a good couple of days over there to, to get over there. So knowing what lives up there, I still didn't, I didn't run directly up there right off. I kind of worked my way up there. I kind of, I got up the river. But started fishing, you know, a few little stretches and making sure I still knew how to run it. I just didn't go, you know, wide open through all that stuff. And, mm-hmm. and you know, because, I mean, things change. You know, some logs may get washed yep. in or, who you know, who knows? You know, somebody may move some rocks. I mean, you never know. I mean, that's <laughs> been known to happen <laughs> this day and time. So, uh, so yeah, so I kind of fished my way. And I caught a, a good scoreboard that helped me, you know, that first day. It was like a three-pound something smallmouth. Then I got almost to the bad stuff, and I kind of ran up there, and I looked at it, kind of, you know, not going all the way. And then I wheeled around, and I said, all right, boat official, hang on. We about to hit it. You know what I'm saying? We, I, if it's going to be – if we're going to make it, we got to go through that little spot, and we're going to be about to find out. And I made it no problem. You know, it was just – I just didn't just run all the way and got up there. And, but, yeah. Yeah. But once I got up there, I got I went to work and uh, it was a nasty rainy day and um, I, I, I tied on the same bait I caught them last year on. It's a Berkeley four inch uh, hollow belly, three eighths ounce head. And it was a sexy shad color, and I just went to work. I started catching them. It was kind of slow, and I was like, eh, maybe I mean maybe they don't literally. Maybe I got lucky last year. Well, you know, I, I, I had a Berkeley crankbait, so I was kind of doing a one two punch. I, I would throw the uh, swim bait, and then I'd come back through with the crankbait. And they ate the crankbait a little bit, I mean, pretty decent that day, but I lost some. I'm like, man, I just hate catching, I hate hooking fish on trouble, especially a smallmouth. They're so mean right. and erratic. Crazy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
so I caught enough to, to, to survive the day. And I lost, like I said, I lost a couple, a couple good ones. And I, you know, I didn't get to see them. They jumped way out. So going up there so, day two, you had a good yeah, idea that you yeah. could increase. Yeah. If you If I, things went good and you landed what bit. Yeah. He's hey, got a I, chance to win. Kurt, I didn't know. I didn't know if I, I didn't know how many, if I caught them all. I didn't know if there was any more. I just know I'd lost some. I'm like, I, I, that's all I got. I didn't practice. That's all right. I have. I mean, right. and, and it got me to a third place standings going into the final day. And I'm like, you know, hey, it's either meant to be or it's not. And right. it was an amazing day. I tell you, man, it was really, really special. And, you know, you you can relate to that. I know you've had those days and it's something you really can't explain. I mean, I, I, I didn't really, I didn't lose any. And I, I, had, I got just enough bikes, enough the right bikes to, to, to get it done, man. And there's no room for error. I mean, these guys are so good. You really have to maximize and make the most out of what's, what's in front of you and, and, and get it done. And, and I was just, I was just very fortunate to, to, to do it that day. That's awesome. That yeah. Awesome. All right. Hey, Keith, man, thanks for breaking that down. We're going to take a quick break. Um, we're going to power pole down here for a moment. Keith Poche is going to be back with us right after this, man. Some intriguing discussions. We're going to talk next about Murray a little bit. Keith Poche, second in earnings right now in the 2023 Bass Pro Tour Series. Y'all stay tuned. We're going to be right back. A rush of tournament adrenaline. Nitro, the choice of champion. Where performance meets play. Nitro, a big water beast. A pure fishing machine. Nitro, release the champion within. Welcome back. Welcome back. Radio. Chatting with Keith Poche. Keith. We're gonna take it down to the next step, man. We're gonna we're gonna talk about Murray, how you attacked Murray. You got another good check. You made the knockout round at the next event. Um, dude, you've been rolling right here, right? I don't know, add it all up. I was mentioning before the show, but it was, uh, I think you're probably in about 150000 already earnings this year, and it's the middle of April, man. You got a chance to really make some big noise this year. So again, sitting in sixth place in the Bass Pro Tour standings. How did you attack Lake Murray? Uh, I talked about it a little bit in the beginning of the show. Gagliardi just, I mean, dude is wreckable out there on that lake, man. He's won over $800,000 on the fishery, but uh, you won ten grand. Uh, this past week. So tell us how you got it done and um, with, with the mindset of of the, you know, getting to backwaters, doing the river thing, fishing inaccessible water. Did you keep that in play this week or last week, I should say? And um, how, how did that how did that break down for you? So I'd, I'd first like to say, uh, man, I, I'm really happy that um, Anthony Gagular, he got it, you know, he got the win. That was awesome to see him. I'm happy for him. He's a great dude. And uh yeah, just just want to throw that out there. Um but yeah, so Murray, uh been there a 
few times and um you know I, i've done okay there but never really caught them good but so yeah first off i'm I, you know i'm i'm doing my thing i'm gonna go up the river go as far as i can go and actually i went to the next dam up there i got all the way up <laughs> let's to, redo to, redo to, cherokee hey <laughs> work last week let's just let's, 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 so we can keep it rolling um you know, there was when I got up there, there were so many people on the bank fishing. I don't think I, I don't even think I could have made a cast anywhere. Like right below, you know, they like throwing lines out, snagging fish, and I don't even know what they're fishing for. But uh, there were so many people up there that I, it was just kind of like I, I, I can't. There's, there's no way. There's no room. I mean, they were right at the dam. But I fished all up that river. There's a lot of good uh, backwaters. I actually won a select championship up there. Um, in, in one of the river, I can't remember, I think it was the left fork, but uh, middle of the summer, hot, caught them on a frog. I uh, was kind of stuck to that zone, so I really didn't have a choice. I had to fish that area. But So so having some history there and, and doing what I do, I kind of ran through some of that stuff. And, uh, I mean, I was getting some bites. Things, things were rolling, and I felt all right with it. Um, then I went down late. You know, I was like, I, I got to go down lake. I mean, I, I always do that. I mean, I, I first want to look up, you know, see what's going on. And I, I, I mean, I caught some fish, but I'm like, man, it's a long ways. And I just didn't get quiet enough that I really like. Let's talk lake, about that real quick. Let, let's break that down. So you're way up the river, uh, kind of visiting some, some history a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then you go down lake and you kind of change your focus a little bit. Explain to people what the difference in conditions are. You know, in the springtime when you're way up the river like that versus what you found when you went down lake and started started looking at a, a different section of the body of water. So, yeah, I mean, things got to be right, especially up a river like this. I mean, you know, being in a spring, we get a lot of rain uh, this time of the year, um, and, and it can really trash an area. It happened to me at the Classic. I was on, on a pretty good bite, and, and it got pretty muddy, but... Uh, so yeah, I mean, you know, water condition, the water height, you know, the, you know especially being way up a river, it, the, it, it gets, it, it, the, the level fluctuates a lot, you know, cause it's real narrow up there. When they start dumping a lot of water from another dam or something, it, the conditions can change drastically. And so you're kind of at the mercy of the weather and, and, and the generating guy who really <laughs> punched the button and released some water. So, and that can really, really make things difficult because what it does, it really, it really floods, uh, a, a I mean, the woods almost, and the fish kind of get scattered and they go way back where, where even I can't go. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it, it makes it a little bit more difficult. And so things kind of really got to play, play out perfectly. And I, and I think they had a big drawdown that, that this past year too, which kind of pulls the fish out of that kind of stuff. And I don't know if they really made it back fully back up in those areas yet uh just because it, it stayed down so long and a lot of those fish probably migrated way out and, and into other more stable areas that that they can you know feel more comfortable in but but you know being in the spring and and knowing and and understanding that you know there's a lot of big fish in murray i had to go look down south south too because i like to bed fish and uh man was i surprised dude there was big old fish laid up everywhere <laughs> i was like holy moly thank god i came down here because i would have missed the deal I, you know so i don't oh i fish down the lake actually i fished that the actual dam the south down and you know where deep water is down down yeah. on the lake i, I fished all three days down there 
Nice. And I had a really, really good tune. I, I almost had an opportunity, you know, I mean, it's real tight. Of course, I finished like 22nd, but I mean, I wasn't far off from making a top 10. Uh, I was like one or two good bites away and, uh, you know, four pound bites. And there so, were a lot of those to be had. I mean, guys were catching yeah. good yeah. fish left and right. I mean, if you didn't have 18, yeah. 19, yeah. you 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 really weren't sniffing a whole lot of press. <laughs> yeah, no. So, I mean, it's a really good lake. It's fishing really good. And, I, you know, I was very thankful to have the finish I had. I wasn't on any shad spawn or whatever, herring bite. I mean, I, you know, I, you know, guys may be doing that. I just, I, I stayed shallow still, but just in, in the main lake. I, I did what I like to do. I, I bed fished. I went some places that you can't get a big boat underneath some docks and, you know, back behind marinas and stuff like that. I, that played a little. So I, I still kind of lean on my strategy, but in, 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 the, in the main lake, there's always a little something, that, a little sneak hole that you can get in. Sure even though it ain't way up the river. So you, yes. you just got to find them and look for them and, and, and just use your head a little bit and understand where a big boat can't get. Yep, yep, yeah. And I, and I saw that on live a little bit. I saw uh, I saw you get under a couple of uh, dock walkways and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. You would have never got a glass boat under there. <laughs> so, oh, no. no. So it was, that was cool to see. That was cool to see another, uh, another signature move from uh, small boat master. So, uh, yeah. Keith, let me let, let's break on down. You know, anglers fishing right now. Um, you know, starting to enter post spawn conditions a lot in the south, um, especially as we creep into this uh, second half of April. You start getting into the, you know, the, really the end of April. A lot of a lot of places going post spawn. Um, still some, you know, mid mid belt of the country. I think you know, obviously still spawning, and and they mm -hmm. haven't even sniffed you know, the dirt up there in New York and, and Michigan yet. But, uh, yeah. but uh, how do you like to approach some post-spawn strategies? Uh, are you still kind of keeping with your backwater, river, uh, hard-to-access places? Or, or is there something that you're going to lean on, you know, outside of that focus? Well, there's a couple things go. I mean, as far as, you know, post-spawn, moving the you know there's still some fry garters and, and i don't know if you you're, you're talking about after that but the, you know even after a spawn you know there's bucks that are still guard fry which you know depending where you are in the country a, a buck a buck can get you know three three pounds or so sure and uh, i caught several of them at murray so i mean that that's a strategy catch them on a frog swim jig you know they guard fry or you know jerk bait top water just whatever whatever you are wherever you are in the country and whatever fits the best you know conditions you're in but um that or you know a lot of them big females that hang out uh pretty close in some of these areas especially in up the river backwater kind of things because they just don't they kind of live in that area they kind of mm -hmm. that's their life and so, unless it gets really really extremely cold or or extremely hot they may you know back off into a creek channel or something somewhere but they'll go out and they'll sit on some some stumps or some lay downs you know something off the ends of them uh somewhere they just go hang out and chill and kind of recover right. and Typically, you can catch them, you know, maybe slow rolling a, a, a vibrate jig or, or spinner bait down some of those, you know, trees or, or flipping them or, um, or, or, you know, typically, you know, by that time, a shad spawn starts rolling in or, uh -huh. you know, you know brim bed. So they kind of, they kind of, in my areas, they kind of just hang out and okay. pretty close. You know, they may pull off just a little bit right there, you know, not way up where they were spawning, but they're not far. 
Um, so just just keep a lookout for little little things like that, uh, little isolated things like grass patch or you know, like I said, lay down or something that that's off by itself. Um, because they're they're looking for they want they don't want to work too hard. They want they want to <laughs> chill out. They fish them bigger. They want to chill out and just get an easy meal. So uh, you just gotta fish them a little slower. Uh, use you know, you know, flip you know, you know, pit ball or something like that. Just you know, real right. subtle. There's some great tactics, so uh, I'm sure I'm sure the listeners will look for some of those keys. Uh, I like the fry garter, man. I like the fry garter thing. I don't, yeah. you know, I think the fry garter is an interesting topic because some lakes are prolific with fry garters, and, and you see a lot of them, and and they're more they're easier to target. Actually, a lake like Lake Murray. Uh, mm-hmm. is a big fry garter lake. Um, oh, yeah. Gunnersville, big fry garter lake. You know, there, well, I can't certain... get no information now. We got, we, we, oh, we yeah, got no. MLF coming up here. I mean, don't we give me no information. What, what do you got What, what, what do you got coming up next? So, just so I don't go anywhere. I don't need to go. <laughs> it's our next Bass Pro Tour on Where is that at? Oh, it is on, on Gunnersville. Gunnersville, yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. Well, I, that leads I me into kid. another I question. I know. I, I know. Kid, I... But that's good that it's on top of your mind. That's important. Yeah. That's that's yeah. important. Um, that, that leads me kind of into a, another question, and, and one that I, I had written down here as a note that we I wanted to talk about, and that was, um, you know, rules of bass fishing. Now. You knew going into the 2023 season, you wanted to attack the MLF Bass Pro Tour. You wanted to attack the when I mean attack, I mean fish competitively with with uh, you know intent to win, right? Um, yeah. And and you wanted to fish the uh, Bassmaster Elite Series. Um, you knew that there was going to be some issues with competing in all the events because of schedule overlap and these kind of things. And, and I've seen some media here recently that, that kind of leans to when are these organizations going to get together and let an angler like a John Cox or a Keith Poche, you know, kind of be a professional angler, fish what they need to fish, you know, be a pro and, and fish national events. And, and I don't really want to take this conversation there, but what my question is um, kind of, you knew these things were coming, so I'm interested to understand kind of your overall intention when tackling both tours, understanding there's going to be a lot of these obstacles. Ultimately, it's going to cost you, you know, a good bit of money um, without the possibility to earn it back through performance, um, which is a, a decision that, that you knew was going to come and, and that you made and kind of... Obviously, I know your intention is to fish everything you can fish. That's what your job is. But how did you weigh the pros and cons from that aspect, um, knowing that you know these, these kind of things were going to come up throughout the year? It was a hard decision. It really was. I, I didn't take it lightly, and I don't want anybody to think I did um, because there's there's been a lot of talk. There's been some chatter about this or that, and. Um, but you know, the number one thing is, uh, my family was behind me and my sponsor was behind me to, to making this decision. So, uh, it wasn't just Keith Poche saying, you know, uh, let's do this. I mean, I wanted to do them regardless. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, I, that's that I'm, I'm having fun. That's what I want. I want to fish more. Uh, but I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to close a door unless I mm-hmm. absolutely had to. And I, I think in life. 
you know, you, you don't do that in general. You don't close a door unless you have, that's, that's a bad decision. Right. They, they created a, a platform, Bass and MLF. They, they have these two platforms and they gave me an avenue to fish both. They, I, the schedule line for me to fish the opens and still fish Bass Pro Tour. So mm-hmm. I did that last year. Mm-hmm. And I had a really good season on the, on the opens. So I qualified for the elite series. Right. I earned two years over there by qualifying through the opens. I'm guaranteed this year and next year. So I earned my spot for two years. So looking at it, okay, why not try it? Yeah. It may be a little bit more uh, financially. Uh, but like I said, my family's behind me, my sponsors behind me and it made sense because there's a couple of conflicts, but I, I'm creating opportunity for, for myself, mm-hmm. for my sponsors, and make mm-hmm. trying to make more money. for. Because, look, if I win, I, that's more tournaments I can option uh, opportunity Absolutely. to win. Absolutely. So some people disagree with that, and that's their, that's their opinion. I, I, don't, I don't care because if you think about it, back when they had FLW and Bass, a lot of guys fished both then. Yes. And I don't recall and I don't know, but I don't know of anybody that complained back then. <laughs> right. I don't I don't know if it's because it's John Cox or Keith Post. I don't know why they complained, but um, all I can say is get over it. I mean, if you don't if you don't like it, change the rules. I mean but but why why fault a guy that, that has that's created opportunity for himself? I think, like you said before, the leagues need to get together because they're only hurting us. They need to give us more opportunity to fish both or make a rule where we can't fish both. It's simple as that. But don't play games and go back and forth on who's scheduling better back and forth. Because I think if they work together, they would get a lot better response from the fans and and the anglers. Like, it would be a lot better for everybody. Well, I'd I, I like to say, you know, I think that's a great outlook that you have. I think, you know, you don't close a door of some opportunity and possibilities because you don't know what's going to happen. And right. um, you could go out and win a couple of Elite Series events this year. Um, you've got two years. Maybe next year the schedule lines up a little bit better. Um, right. We, we exactly. won't know that until until it happens. Right. And um, ultimately, you're giving yourself an opportunity that you earned. And, um, man, I, I hope that there isn't – other professional anglers that look at this as a negative uh, because um, I think anglers need to support anglers. Uh, we've seen in the past that, that you know, anglers, uh, you know, that just don't keep a positive vibe and momentum. It, it eats at everybody inside. You know, not not just inside yeah. somebody personally, but inside this industry of bass fishing. And uh, man, we just got to keep it positive. We got to cheer everybody on, whether it's you know Keith Pochet or Anthony Gagliardi or or Jody White, <laughs> right? And, you know, and let, whoever. And let, and let me just add to kind of what you're saying. And I, I think I, I'm not saying we need to create a union. I don't know. Maybe we do. Or maybe you know, like basketball, like basketball players that had a strike. I mean, sure. I, I think. I think it's anglers. I think we need to stand up as a group, as a whole, and like do something because we we, we deserve more. I, I really think so, and I, and I can and I can actually say that as I mean I have the right to say that because I think I've struggled just about as much as anybody else has struggled. So, I you know we need we deserve more. 
and I think the, the the younger generation needs more as well. And that's what I, and that's why another reason I fish out of this boat. I, I think it's getting so outrageous. We were talking about the boat over a hundred thousand dollars. When is it going to stop? When can the average guy get involved and be successful? Not to worry about financially trying to survive, pay his bills at home, going out and competing. It's becoming a rich man's sport, and I think we need to stay, take a step back and, and just realize that hey, we're gonna we're gonna price ourselves out of a job before you know it because people. Uh, looks like we lost Keith there for a second. He'll, he's probably going to come back in real quick. But but uh, completely agree with uh, everything that Keith is saying, and um, you know that that process that uh, that anglers go through to try to make a living in this sport. It, it's um, it can be difficult at times. So um, anyway, super super big shout out to Keith. Oh, here he comes. He's back. We got him back. Just said there something we where it went wrong. Yeah, man. no, you know, we, we got yeah. you back. So I, I yeah. was just I was just letting the letting the audience know that Keith, you know, I, I completely agree, man. Uh, we we as anglers, we as individuals, we as fans of this sport, you know, just need to uh, be positive and uh, you know just cheer everybody on with all their opportunities that they have. I don't I don't know what what was the last thing you heard I said that you got. Uh, basically, you were just talking about, um, you know, a union, how, you know, it'd be nice for anglers to kind of get together. Um, I think that's probably why MLF came about was because anglers weren't really getting what they wanted. and It didn't come together. So they they made their own organization. It, it's a difficult deal. You know, yeah. even even if the, the NFL uh, goes on strike, which we've seen in, in history, um, they bring in other players. Uh, there is somebody to replace everybody. Unfortunately, that is the uh, mantra of life. But uh, it would be nice to, um, you know, just keep trailblazing what you're doing, Keith. It's going to be, yeah. it'll be interesting to see, you know, what kind of of uh, movement does does Keith Poche's actions help the world of fishing? Whether it's using a small boat, fishing both tours taking DQs because of schedule conflicts and, and all of these kinds of things. So I, I do believe, Keith, you are a trailblazer. I think it's positive. Um, I don't think there is, uh, you know, I, I understand that, that people may not understand, might not understand you. Well, and, I, yeah, uh, and, I, and I wish I wish they would take the time because they would be pleasantly surprised on the type of person I am. I, they, I think some people got the complete wrong idea about me. And if they really knew the truth and, and what my my passions were and what I how I feel about everything, they, they may they may be surprised. I, I think there's a there's a Hall of Famer now and a Hall of Famer inductee that uh, had some of this happen in his career. Uh, Mike Iaconelli, a friend of mine. Um, mm-hmm. Mike Mike went through a period where you heard more negativity about Mike than you did positivity. Ultimately. Yeah. Mike had a lot more positive vibes behind him, even though yeah. the negativity was louder. And yeah. you look at how he's carried himself. You look at how you carry yourself and how people that uh, have a passion for this game carry themselves in the sport. Ultimately, um, you know, people see what's inside uh, their heart and their soul and their mind. And, uh, and, and we love it. 
and because we, we love the same thing. We, we love the sport of yeah. bass fishing. And, and that's why Mike Iaconelli going into all the fame. That's why he's, Keith Poche is a trailblazer right now. So, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's cool stuff. Keith, man, it's been awesome to have you on the podcast. I uh, want to give you a, a, a chance to just give it any kind of shout-outs you want to or, uh, you know, kind of some concluding thoughts here of our featured angler spotlight with MLF, BBT, and BASS Elite Series Pro, Keith Poche. What do you got for the for the audience? Man, just stay positive. I don't, it doesn't matter what you do in life, uh, whether it's fishing, whether it's, you know, if you want to be an architect or a lawyer, or if you if you want to cut grass for a living, just, just be positive, <laughs> stay, you know. Like seriously, like enjoy what you do, and that that's that's where you truly are going to find happiness. Don't work, don't want to be something you're not, because you're going to be miserable. Just just enjoy what you got, make the most of it, and you're going. Life is just going to come to you. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Well, Keith, like I say, it's it's been great to uh, have you on the podcast, and uh, we'll be watching you in your events to come. Take care, brother. Great having you here. You guys, we're going to have a quick break in just a moment. We're going to be back with some final thoughts here on Bass Edge. Nobody wants to run out of power when they're on the water. There is a better way. Introducing the Charge Marine Power Management Station from PowerPole that does the work of three devices, a traditional battery charger, a charge on the run, and an emergency start system. PowerPole Charge. see where I, where I want to take some of my thoughts. Um, you know, the deal with, uh, let, let's, let's first start with our showcase segment with uh, Jody White. Man, it was um, Jody. Jody really brought, brought some neat things. Being a media guy and being that he um, provides uh, MLF, uh, you know, statistics. He's going to help us with that. He's, he's going to, he's going to, also, you know, provide some great information on that Red River where he finished uh, top six in the ABA. But what was really cool was understanding Jody's perspective of what makes a bass angler, um, you know, successful. Uh, he, he named a couple different things. One was um, sixth sense. You know, anglers having that sixth sense of just being able to, you know, act out of instinct to to be able to catch fish or the way they retrieve a bait or wind a lure um i think that there's definitively anglers that have that but i think that's something an angler that doesn't have it can overcome a little bit and the way they overcome that is with jody's uh other topic of conversation of how to become a great angler and that is have uh basically you know, an out of control amount of passion for the game. So, um, I can see how that is with, uh, a lot of anglers that, that just fish a lot. You know, you, you can 
kind of go through the list of some of the top 10, and, and I won't try to go through that right now, but we, we talked earlier about the Bass Fan Top 10. And if you look at the top 10 of anglers right now in the Bass Fan World Rankings, you're going to see anglers that have some amazing passion about the sport. So, uh, man, thanks again for uh, Jody coming out. Let's, let's, let's uh, rekindle a little bit about Keith's conversation. Um, you know, I, I like the fact that, that Keith is just, you know, beating to his own drum, man. He's just, he's just doing Keith. And, and what, what my perspective is from that is I kind of saw that whole thing evolve. I, I explained it a little bit, uh, as I was talking to Keith, but kind of saw this progression that, that he went through and, uh, to finally see him get that big win, uh, the first national win at the Bass Pro Tour, uh, stage three, um, there at Douglas and Cherokee, it was, it was, uh, I saw his emotion. I think we all saw his emotion and, um, and, and it was just great to see a guy that's, that's worked hard, um, pushed the limits, um, but worked really hard and, and, uh, had found success in, in, in the sport, um, his own way. So, uh, big, big shout out to Keith. And, and, and lastly, I, I want to say that, um, I, I like how I call him a trailblazer because he is right now. I mean, he's doing things that other people are either aren't willing to do, can't do, but but Keith's able to do it, and he's really pushing the envelope on um, not only some fishing tactics and and the way he's accessing uh, waters to do well in events, but also with the administration of tournament bass fishing. Uh, essentially, um, I want all pros to fish what they want to fish that they qualify for, and um, may, maybe we'll see somewhere down the road where that's possible. Last year was possible just from schedules, but it would be nice to see some effort put behind it, not just luck uh, from the organizations. Um, let let a pro be a pro. Uh, he doesn't have to be X type of pro or Y type of pro. Just just let him go fish the national events that he's qualified for that that would be uh great to see somewhere down the line so let me let me uh close this out with a couple of other quick notes um make going on right now actually today check out the finals of the uh, Bassmaster Open over there in Toledo Bend um they are uh, wrapping that tournament up today. It, it should be a blowout uh, style of event with just, you know, all kinds of things going on over there from shad spawn and sight fish to to uh, deep fish or, or, or dock fishing. It should be just all over the map. The MLF Invitational Series is up at Eufaula in Oklahoma. We haven't seen a big national tournament there in Eufaula since a BASS Elite Series um, which was actually a rescheduled event that, that ended up getting uh, put on Eufaula that Tommy Biffle won. So it'll be interesting to see how things go down at Eufaula. Uh, that event will conclude on the 16th um, of April. And then you got two big Toyotas events going on. Um, interesting to see, obviously, the California Delta. They had one uh Last month in March, uh, now they'll have one here in April, kind of see what those weights are. But the one I'm really looking forward to see is the Kentucky Lake event and how uh, how is Kentucky Lake? What's the health of Kentucky Lake? Um, it's probably going to be more of a shallow-oriented event, um, maybe some flipping, pitching, uh, possibly some sight fishing, um, so, so they won't be deep. But will the carp have an effect in this event? That that. And that'll be interesting to see. And then finally, uh, the big national event this month 
uh, in the last half of April is the Elite Series at Lake Murray. Um, how is the lake going to react from the Bass Pro Tour where we saw some giant weights, some big fish? Um, how is it going to react and, and what changes are we going to be able to see from a pattern perspective um, to this Elite Series event? It's going to be taking place April 20th through 23rd. Will there still be a shad spawn going on? Will there still be a blueback herring spawn going on? Will there still be some sight fish? Um, it's going to be fun to watch. I love to see how a lake progresses. You can learn so much by watching both of these events. And if you didn't watch the Bass Pro Tour event, maybe go back, check it out, get ready for this Elite Series event. It's going to really be able to give us all a good look at uh, just you know how a lake progresses in the springtime. So, um, man, wish you all a great second half of April. We're going to see you the next episode, episode number 399 episode 399 coming up on 400 here pretty soon but uh maybe we'll get aaron martin back on for episode 400 but appreciate y'all being here don't forget to like subscribe and leave a comment down below or leave a rating for us if you're listening to us too on audio only there like google play itunes spotify any of those we'd love to hear your feedback y'all take care i'm out of here adios from bass ed radio A rush of tournament adrenaline. Nitro, the choice of champion. Where performance meets play. Nitro, a big water beast. A pure fishing machine. Nitro, release the champion within. See y'all next time.